0: Well, wow. good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Um, if we've not met before, hello. My name's Rob, um, and as John said, I'm a member of a congregation here. So a quick question, has anyone ever been rock climbing? Anyone, anyone a few people have been rock climbing? I've got a picture. Can we get the picture up on the screen? Okay. There it is, it's a, it's a rock climbing. Um, I mean, it's something I used to do quite a bit when I was younger. I mean, I realize that makes me sound old. I'm not old. Um, but when you go rock climbing, you usually have a harness, and you have a rope, I mean, you can see it there, it goes sort of up over through a carabiner, and then it's attached to your climbing partner at the bottom of the wall. It goes to something called a belay device, and that device just sort of adds a little bit of friction to the rope to sort of control your fall. Um, and as you climb, the person at the bottom just pulls that rope through, and that, as I said, just adds a little bit of friction so that if you fall, you're gonna come back safely to the ground. And oddly enough, for me, when I was climbing, some of the best moments were actually those moments when the climb wasn't quite working out, when, you know, that, that next hold was just a little bit too far away, or your arms were just getting just that little bit tired. Because at that point, that's when you'd call down to your partner, and you'd ask them to help, you'd ask them to, you know, take in the slack a little bit, to sort of point you in the right direction. Where are you going to try and go? And this psalm is actually David's reminder to us that no matter how hard the climb is for us right now, no matter how tired we've become, or whether the cliff face just seems to be crumbling around us, God is on the other end of that rope. He knows when he needs to give us some slack. He knows when he he needs to haul that rope in. He knows when he needs to give us a boost up, and when he needs to catch us. You see, when David wrote this psalm, Well, let's just say it was in a bit of a pickle. More on that in just a minute. Um, But in this structure of the psalm, we see a three-step response to the situation that he finds himself in. He starts by praying humbly, coming before God. Then we see that he has put his complete and utter trust in God, knowing to the very depth of his soul that God is going to come through. And then finally, we see him worship with all of his heart. So let's start by putting this psalm into a little bit of context. So if you have a look in your Bibles, right at the start of this psalm, Psalm 57, uh, before we even get to verse 1, it gives us a bit of information. It says, For the director of music uh, to the tune of Do Not Destroy. Uh, there are a number of psalms in the Bible to that tune, uh, 58 and 59 being some of them as well, um, if you look down. And then it says a miktam, we're not really sure what that is, probably a musical term. Um, and then it says, uh, when he fled from Saul into the cave. That last bit is really important to give us some context here. If we're going to really understand this psalm, we need to know a little bit about who Saul and David are and what's going on at this point. Now, I know a lot of people here will already know quite a bit about Saul and David. They're really big characters in the Bible but I thought it might be helpful to take just a quick whistle-stop tour through the first 24 chapters of 1 Samuel. So get comfortable. Shouldn't take more than a couple of hours, two or three. Um, Glad you got rid of the pews, aren't we? So do follow along. We are going to go very quickly. Um, If you do want to have a look at it, 1 Samuel starts on page 271 in your Bible, but we're just going to really pick and choose a few bits as we go through. Um, So where 1 Samuel picks up Israel is sort of fractured at the moment. It's sort of divided into the 12 tribes, and they're being ruled over by judges. Um, Things haven't really been going very well. The people have turned from God. They've been worshipping Baals. And along comes Samuel, a prophet and a wise leader of Israel. And he leads them to to a few notable victories against the Philistines. However, despite Samuel making very, very clear to God's people that this is an outworking of God in their lives for their good. Their takeaway from this whole thing is just, well, the Philistines have a king. Why why can't we have a king? And so Samuel prays, and he uh, prays to God, and God says, okay, well, I'll anoint a king then. And he anoints Saul. Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, so that's sort of fairly down down the pecking order. Uh, But he's from a very wealthy family. The Bible tells us he's tall. Good looking, Uh, and he's a pretty skilled warrior. Um, And all seems to tick all of the boxes about who the king of Israel needs to be. But he has one pretty big flaw, um, and that he's not very good at following God's commands. And after one absolute monumental failure to follow God's command, uh, Samuel comes up to Saul, and he says, This is 1 Samuel 13 13 to 14. He says, You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him to be ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So Saul knows that there's somebody else coming. And that doesn't sit too well with him. I mean, after all, he wants his son, Jonathan, to become king after him. Um, And then a few chapters later, chapter 16, we meet God's new anointed one. Uh, God sends uh, Samuel to Bethlehem and tells him to find a man called Jesse uh, because he's chosen one of Jesse's sons to be king. Um, And so Samuel goes, and they call Jesse's eldest son. Again, tall, good-looking, handsome, the sort of person that they expected to be king. But God goes, nope, nope not him then bring out next eldest son god says to samuel no not, not him either and they keep going through all of david's sons until they get to the youngest who's not even in the house he's been sent out into the field to look after the sheep so they send for him and when he comes god says to samuel this is at the end in chapter 16 at the end of verse 12 um, and then going on into verse 13 he says then the lord said arise and anoint him this is the one so samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day day on the spirit of the lord came powerfully upon david so david is duly anointed Eventually, he, he comes into the service of King Saul, first as an armor-bearer and, and a musician, so almost like a valet, um, and then after that, after winning a victory against the Philistines by beating their champion Goliath with a stone from his sling, he becomes a great general. However, Saul's not too happy about this, especially when it comes clear that the Israelites seem to like David a little more than they like Saul, and so he tries to kill David, and and he fails. And then following the old adage, if at first you don't succeed, get your enemies to kill him instead. Um, To be fair, David uses a modified version of that play later on in the Bible. Uh, But that doesn't work either. And so after a few more attempts on David's life by Saul, David decides he's just got to leave. And so we see him on the run. And this takes us up to 1 Samuel 22. Um, where we see him in a cave. We do see him again in a cave in 1 Samuel 24. Uh, We're not quite sure exactly which one of those two incidences we're talking about here, and you want to chat more about that at the end, please do come and find me. But we know that he's in a cave. We're all caught up. He's being pursued by the most powerful army on the planet, led by a man who is going to stop at nothing to kill him. At one point, Saul even killed an entire town of priests for the crime of simply giving David some food and a sword. And that's what makes this psalm so remarkable. David's response to all this, we see it in verse 1, have a look. It says, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until disaster has passed even being pursued by the might of Saul's army. He doesn't look to his past and his own victories. He doesn't stand proud, going, well, you know, if I could kill Goliath with a stone, yeah, I can take on Saul and his army. He doesn't start strategizing, you know, like the good general he is, working out if he's got the high ground, relying on himself and the world around him. No, he comes humbly before God and he prays, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you my heart takes refuge. And how often do we, when things are just not quite going to those carefully orchestrated plans that we have for our own lives, how often do we then look solely to ourselves and the world around us for answers and just seem to forget that God's there too? It's so easy just to, to write any situation off as just simply being unfair. Or to think that, you know what, if we just keep trying, if we just keep working harder, we're going to get there in the end. It'll all be okay. But that's not the, David, the example that David sets here. He takes refuge in the shadow of the wings of his loving Father in heaven. And that's, that's not easy. When you think about it when someone we love is unwell and they're facing an operation. It can be sometimes much easier for us to put all of our faith in the surgeon and their years of medical training and forget to put any trust in God. Yet everything we have on this earth is a gift from him, even modern medicine. And absolutely, we should be putting trust in modern medicine. After all, it is a gift from God. But more importantly, We need to come before God humbly in prayer. We need to trust in him and know that he is at work in that operating theater as well. That the miracles of healing that we see in the Bible haven't stopped. God is still at work through his spirit in our lives today. And it's not easy, but if we can do that, then we find some certainty. Have a look at the way David phrases it in verse 1. He says, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Not, I'm going to take refuge and then maybe someday the depart- disaster will pass, or I'll take refuge here where it's warm and I know I'm safe and just let the world burn. No, he says, no, I'm going to wait here until the disaster is passed. He knows that God is at work. It is that much easier to sit through these things when we know that there is an end, And one of my own personal favorite memories was when I was backpacking around Malaysia. And I had never experienced rainstorms quite like the rainstorms that you get in September in Malaysia. And I was sat underneath a corrugated roof. And if you want a rainstorm to sound even more epic, even more awesome, sit underneath a corrugated roof. And you can hear every single raindrop thundering down. It was, to be honest, a little bit scary. I had never seen anything like this. But what I did know was that what I'd been told by the people I was with is that this will pass. These rainstorms stop. They only come, they come and go. You get two or three a day, but they won't last very long. They'll go. You see, I knew then that it's okay. For that moment, I was warm, I was dry, I was sheltered, I was protected. And soon the rains would stop, and I'd be able to get back out and carry on exploring. These moments will pass. It might not lead to the immediate outcome that we're expecting or that we might like, but ultimately, it will lead us to God. David knew that God had a plan for him. Samuel had anointed him, and he had known God's Spirit upon him. He knows that this will pass, and that whatever the outcome, God is going to be there too. And God had, has a plan for all his people. We see that in lots of places throughout the Bible. One of the big famous ones, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, we read, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And there are so many other places where we see that plan worked out and explained to us. Again, okay, most well-known, probably John 3:16: For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have a paternal life. My favorite one is Paul writing to Titus in Titus chapter 3 and verses 4 to 7. He says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us graciously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having hope of eternal life. Just like David, we need to believe in the Lord. We need to trust in his promises. There's nothing else, no further requirement or qualification needed. And then, like David, we will see the outworking of that plan. It might not look exactly like we expect it to, but we can be sure that God is at work, and that will only lead at a good thing. To a good thing. See, David continues in his prayer. So, chapter two, down at verse three of Psalm 57, it says, "I cry out to the Most High, the God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me." I love that, but he sends from heaven and saves me. You see, what David didn't know, but we know today, is that the Lord God will send his son from heaven. He will send his Holy Spirit. He sent his son to die on a cross in our place, paying the price for our sins so that we might be saved. But again, note the language that David is using here. It's just full of certainty. He sends, he saves, he rebukes. And then at the end of verse 3, God sent forth his love and his faithfulness. This isn't just sort of some half-hearted hope phrased with a sort of of get-out-of-jail-free card just in case, you know, maybe God doesn't show up. No, David is writing this as hard and fast fact. David knows but God will do these things. God has promised he will. David has seen it before. He knows who God is and what God does. And despite all this, though, David does still use his prayer to have a little bit of a moan. Not about God. Uh, But let's just say he's sort of almost expressing his dissatisfaction with his situation. So in verse 4, he says, I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth and spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And and here's the thing. It's okay to tell God that things aren't working out. It's okay to say that we're not happy, that we're scared, that we wish things were different. God wants to hear those things. He, He loves us. The key bit, though, is we can't forget what comes in the next verse. In verse 5, despite that little moan, David's response straight away is, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Despite all that he's going through, he still recognizes who he is. He still recognizes that God is to be exalted, that his glory will be, over all the earth. He's not blaming God for what's going on in his life. He's worshipping him. In verse 7, it says, My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. And then this is the bit that John picked up on earlier. It's my, one of my favourite bits. He goes, Awake, my soul. So I sort of almost imagine David, sort of as he's writing this, coming up to this bit, He's a little bit down. He's trapped in a cave. It's dark. He doesn't really know what's gonna happen next. Uh, he sort of had again, had that little bit of a moan. He's sort of a little bit, but then he just sort of like has to remind himself. Oh man, just shake out of it. Awake my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dorm. You see, this is a new start, a new beginning. God will deliver him. And the only response he has to that is just joyous worship. And praise. Verses 9 and 10. It says, look, I will praise you, Lord. Among the nations, I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. I mean, I love the imagery here. Just how vast is God's love? How far-reaching is his faithfulness? See, David uses like the skies as a measure here, but... I mean, to be honest, unlike 3,000 years ago, we've sort of conquered the skies now, haven't we? Um, it would have seemed to measure back then, but now it's quite common for us to jump on a plane and sort of fly at 32,000 feet. So let's take David's other measure. Let's look at the heavens. So that's 32,000 feet. That's actually only 10% of the way to the Kármán line, which is where we say space starts. That's 62 miles above the Earth. Once you get there, if you carry on for about another million miles, you're going to reach the James Webb Space Telescope, and the James Webb Tate Space Telescope took this picture. Let so me have the next slide up. This is the galaxy cluster SMACS 0723. Catchy name. If you were to take a grain of sand and hold it at arm's length to the night sky, you would be able to cover every single galaxy that is shown in this picture by that single grain of sand. If you look closely, you'll see some of these galaxies, so this is where the physics teacher in me is coming out. Some of these galaxies don't quite look like galaxies, they look like little, little arcs. And the reason for that is that the gravity in this galaxy cluster is so strong, it's literally bending the beams of light as they pass the galaxies. It's what's called gravitational lensing. The thing is, yet yeah, as incredible and amazing and beautiful as this image is, As technologically advanced and amazing is the telescope that took it. All of that is absolutely nothing compared to the love that God our Father has for us. Nothing compared to the faithfulness that he shows his people. See, after all, as David wrote in verse 5, which he then repeats again here at the end of the psalm in verse 11. God is exalted above the heavens. His glory is over the earth. So remember, David in a seemingly hopeless position. The king, also incidentally at this point, his father-in-law as well, someone David has done nothing but faithfully serve honestly. Well, he's raised an entire army against him. He's driven him from his family from his friends. He slaughtered innocent people who were just trying to help, and he's driven him into hiding. And David, well, he prays. He prays humbly. He trusts absolutely that God is going to work here. And then he worships. So today, if, if you feel like you're falling off that wall, if the rock feels like it's crumbling and giving way beneath you. Or perhaps, maybe that's not you. Perhaps maybe things are working out. I think we should follow David's example. Uh, So that's what we're going to do now. Um, Brian, can I ask ask you to come up? What we're going to do, I thought we'd pray together. We'll pray humbly before God. Then we're going to pray and we're going to ask for God to work in our lives through his spirit. And finally, we're going to worship. So can I encourage you if you're, you're next to somebody that you know well, you know you might want to be able to pray with, do ask them if you can pray with them while we're doing this. Uh, maybe you want to put a hand on their shoulder or ask them if there's something particular that you might want to pray for, they might want you to pray for them for. Um, and the prayer ministry team, as John has said, they'll be there um, towards the end of the service. Do, do uh, go over and have a chat to them. Let's pray. Have mercy on us, our God. Have mercy on us. For in you we take refuge. We take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Father, we have done nothing that will cause us to deserve your love. It is you who created us, who loved us, that has promised to save us. Father, we come before you knowing that you will always answer your prayers, our prayers, Lord. Father, we ask today that you would send your spirit to us, that we would know your presence now among us. Father, that you might heal where we need healing that you might comfort us where we need comforting Father that we would know your love for us here right now filling this space working in our hearts Lord worship him.